What's up, everyone? Welcome to a special episode of the CanadianGameDevs.com podcast. Uh, Stephen mentioned a couple episodes ago that we're trying to do a few interviews here and there and, and more uh, generic kind of podcasts that, you know, we want to, like, kind of throw into your feed a little bit along with our weekly show. Um, joining me today is Matthew Metasir from Insert uh, Coin Accounting. And we've been talking for a while since I think, like, the summer or so because we were, you know, we were discussing, like, Hey, it'd be great to discuss and, and kind of get some topics going about, you know, applying for funding and like when to do your taxes and all that stuff. And then uh, since we started talking, a global pandemic hit. Um, obviously, the COVID uh, crisis has kind of put everything into a tailspin, including, you know, what you do in terms of accounting, audits, taxes, wage subsidies, all the stuff. There's new programs being announced, you know, what seems like every day could be very confusing. I know it is to me. Um, so they've uh, joined me today to just kind of like level it out a little bit, maybe put some sense into this and, and just kind of discuss the guys. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us, Stephen. Appreciate it. Um, before we kind of dive in, do you guys want to just maybe quickly introduce yourselves, just who, what, uh, who you are, what insert coin accounting is, what you guys do, your background, anything like that um, before we kind of dive into the specifics? Sure. Sure. Um, so, so really, we started up this whole thing here with Insert Coin Accounting about six years ago after both of us spending plenty of time in the tax credit industry where we really focused on the gaming side. Um, that's where we, we immediately saw this void for essentially all financial services, especially accounting as it related to, to indie gaming studios uh, in the sense that um, they were almost being treated as tech startups. And, and I'm sure it it's, goes without saying that Although this industry might have some tech similarities, and frankly, I think a lot of the, the tech industry right now is boring from, from game technology. From a financial perspective, you couldn't be farther from the boat. So we had these expertise and we decided to uh, compartmentalize, uh, shift off from another company that I'd started a while back and strictly focus on all things tax related uh, to gaming itself. So I'll let Modesto talk about himself. He's a little bit of a unique CPA on this side. Yeah, so initially, I mean, I got started off in the regular accounting world and I quickly realized that wasn't for me, definitely not. So this is where I kind of started uh, kind of putting this idea together of, uh, you know, modern accounting firm, something that isn't very traditional in their approach, in their how they do things and how they run things. Uh, and that's where Insert Coin kind of came about. Uh, it's kind of like on the accounting side, we offer like a modern cloud-based accounting service. And then we kind of slowly built upon that to eventually offer tax credits and as well as audits for government grants and funding. And what we've really been, uh, actually even pre-COVID, uh, what I found that a lot of my time was being spent doing was working with uh, various provincial and federal advocacy groups uh, for the gaming industry to, to enact change on um, some of these grants and some of these, uh, these credit programs because although it's great that we we have these uh, at our disposal within the industry uh, things could always be better and in, in certain provinces things could be uh, far better so that kind of started pre-covid but now since covid those advocacy efforts have just spun up uh, rampantly which um, is perhaps you know a good thing that can come out of a, a, a terrible disaster in a sense that we seem to now have uh, governments asking for um, input on where changes can be made and in many ways it's expediting efforts that were already in place. 
Yeah, really, if, if anything, like, this really got, like, the ball rolling on a lot of stuff, just kind of, I guess it put the the fire under 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 yourselves to or under them to, like, really start some of these things. So, yeah, we were, we're going to do another show or another interview or another talk or whatever later on down the line to discuss, like, how to apply for funding and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, but today, obviously, we want to focus on COVID um, and, and general and stuff like that. Now... There's a lot of like kind of different things going on. A lot of different programs are being announced. Um, I guess like maybe we should just kind of start with like the work sharing slash work subsidy stuff. Um, sure. Do you guys want to kind of just dive into that? Like what it is, why go with one over the other and you know, how do you kind of apply for them? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Basically you, that was an understatement that there's been a lot that's gone out <laughs> of the government in the last couple of months. Like I would say the majority of our time has been spent keeping on top of these things and really understanding them and being able to advise everyone uh, mm-hmm. about these programs. So uh, the wage subsidy is actually the most common one. I think the most relevant one, as long as you have a single employee, you stand to benefit from this. And that's one, actually one of the first programs that the government put out. This was back in mid-March, actually, where as soon as the kind of the lockdown hit, the government came out with the temporary wage subsidy. So there are two major wage subsidies right now. I'll just uh, briefly touch both of them. So the temporary wage subsidy is kind of the, the, the really very basic 10% subsidy. Uh, so, I mean, it's not enough. It's not really, it's not going to save your company or it's not going to prevent layoffs, right? Just because of the small percentage that's been given out. And on top of that, there are limits, very low limits, I should say, to these subsidies. So uh, for your business, there's a $25,000 limit. And then again, there's also a limit based on the number of employees. So it's about thirteen seventy-five for each employee. So as you can imagine, I mean, that's not going to go a long way in terms of supporting your business during this time. So this, again, the subsidy is a very short uh, period. So it's like mid-March to mid-June. So we're almost kind of towards the end of that. Hmm. Is there, uh, do you know if there's like discussion on like if that's going to get extended or anything like that or? No, nothing like that. I mean, it's based on the name itself. Like it was just put in place until they have something more substantial. And I see. that's kind of what the next one we're going to talk about is. So again, this is a pretty simple one. You just take 10% off the payroll and reduce your remittance to the government. So basically it's immediate cash flow. You pay less to the government, you have more to spend on other expenses. Right. Right. But really in reaction to, to I think partially in reaction to seeing other countries mm-hmm. um, up the ante appropriately, they, they came out with the, the CWS, the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy to um, in some ways support that, but in many ways replace it. So let's yeah. try with that one. Yeah, so they both work together. So the Canada weight, Emergency Wage Subsidy that's actually 75% that covers 75% of your salaries. So it's a huge jump from 10. And this was, again, there's a lot of European company, uh, countries that uh, were giving out like over 60, 70, 80% subsidies. And the Canadian government, I would say, rightly responded to that pretty, it was a good response like, compared to some of the other countries. Uh, and again, 75% was a pretty significant amount and there was no maximum for business. So if you had like, 40 or 50 employees, you could all benefit from that. There's a maximum per employee, so it's about 3,400 per month, which is a still a significant, like it's about 40, just over 45,000 per year. 
mm-hmm. of your salary that could be covered by the subsidy. So initially it was only for 12 weeks. So it was March to like beginning of June. And then last week they announced that this was actually extended for another 12 weeks. So right now it's up to the end of uh, August. So that's uh, pretty significant. That's what. And six months, six months yeah. right? So yeah. six months where 75% of your salaries are covered. So, I mean, that's a relief to companies that are worried about making paying, making payroll for their yeah. employees. I mean, the, and the intent there obviously is to encourage companies to, um, to not make layoffs and not have people just um, go on to the, the unemployment subsidies instead. But yeah. this program did come with some more um, restrictive covenants to it that really made it uh, somewhat tougher for gaming community. And I think that's going to be kind of the theme in all these things we discuss here is that most of these programs are really geared towards or thought of with a, a traditional business in mind. So somebody who's got products on the shelf and are looking to move their products. Whereas again, gaming is very different from a financial perspective, even, you know, lengthy, many year established game companies can still operate uh, intentionally at, at zero revenue. And, and you've got a revenue a restriction to a lot of these programs. So I know Modesto definitely wants yeah. to, to shout out that all in here and some ways to, to, to view revenue in different ways. Yeah, for sure. So again, the basic requirement is that you need to show a 30% drop year over year revenue. So for April or May, you need to show 30% drop compared to April or May in last year. Uh, that's under the assumption that again, like traditional business, you know, COVID hits and you see your revenues drop just because there's fewer people spending money, fewer people going out. Uh, but for gaming, obviously that didn't apply. And a lot of companies initially, even in March, once, you know, people learned that they're going to be locked at home, they went and bought a bunch of games and the gaming industry saw a huge spike in March and possibly in April and May as well. Right. Yeah. I think, so that, uh, I think like steam announced, like they had their most concurring users or something like in yep. end of March mm-hmm. or beginning of April or so. So yeah, people were kind of, and you mentioned this before we kind of went live that like after 2008, you know, gaming didn't actually suffer that much. It was more that people mm-hmm. were kind of not going to the movies or, or whatever. Cause gaming there's, you get more bang for your buck. Theoretically, there's more, there's more yeah, hours. And like, sure. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's very true. And as we were discussing there before too, it's, it's my impression was that we're going to see that short term, um, big spike in gaming and initially i thought you know long-term disposable income drops off and and, and you're not going to be able to cover those uh people aren't going to be able to spend as much in gaming but that, that study i was referring to showed that yeah post uh, 2008 financial crisis for many years after people still spent more money on games so um we don't know this isn't financial crisis 2008 this is something entirely different yeah. but um there is a possibility here but sorry i'm, I'm yeah. diverting there it is important for, for this wage subsidy because the the viewing of or the interpretation of revenue is very different in this industry uh, because of publisher investment, because of money that you might be getting from CMF, because of uh, money that you might be receiving from tax credits that's treated as revenue. So, so maybe you want to touch right. on, on how yeah. those we, instances work. Again, if you're pre-revenue, obviously you probably had zero revenue in last year versus this year. So you, that immediately would disqualify you. But more importantly, if you had some kind of government grant or some kind of publisher advance, it's really the luck of the draw here because you could have got you could have gotten that funding in one month, in a specific month. Just by that, that would either qualify or disqualify you from the wage subsidy. I mean, it almost seems unfair to some companies that only 
you only got this funding like let's say april of last year and then this april we got zero in revenue so that would automatically qualify us right but it yeah. doesn't work that way and the government doesn't i guess this wasn't really addressed it was kind of one of those things that fell through the cracks when the government was putting this together it's like the general the general thought process was if there's no drop in revenue then the business hasn't suffered but obviously that's not the case i mean the effects of this are pretty wide ranging so every business at the end of the day is going to be impacted maybe not so on the books as like a revenue drop but in some other way yeah but plus in, in an ideal world you'd have they'd view these things they'd view like you know a cmf grant that you received in april um and and kind of extrapolate that divide that by 12 and, and show allow you to count for that as revenue over all 12 months so you could apply for this wage subsidy in each individual month. Unfortunately, that's not the case here. Like Vanessa mm -hmm. said, it's the luck of the draw, but they have added uh, a secondary test to that, which might help with the, the January, yeah. February. So instead of going back, so yeah, initially when it was announced, like that, there was a couple of weeks where they made a lot of changes. One, uh, a couple of the changes were that for March, instead of showing a 30% drop, you only had to show a 15% drop because the, the assumption there was that the lockdown started mid-March, so you would only have half the drop in revenue that they, they're looking for. Uh, but the other one more so was like, if you weren't operating in last year, if you're a brand new startup that started, let's say fall of last year, or even this year, uh, so you could compare your revenue to January and March of this year, like an average of the two months. January and February. Yes, <laughs> yeah, January and February of this year, uh, instead of la the same month last year. So that ended up qualifying a lot more companies because they might have some revenue in those months, uh, which again dropped in March or April. But I, I guess the more encouraging news is that a couple of weeks ago when they announced, when they extended this subsidy all the way to August, they also talked about that, uh, looking at those rules as well, 30% drop in revenue, because they realized that not everyone was being covered by those rules, or there are a lot of businesses that truly did have some impact that aren't being covered so they haven't announced anything yet so by mid june uh they're going to be announcing some kind of changes to this program so it might end up being the case that a lot more companies even pre-revenue ones hopefully are qualifying for the subsidy we'll do uh we'll do another podcast <laughs> in mid-june <laughs> this is going to be ongoing <laughs> one thing to add to that that i think is pertinent too is, is important for people to know is uh uh a nice little kicker that they've added is that if you do qualify for one month, so let's say for argument's sake, you qualify for March, you automatically qualify for the month thereafter. So in theory, you only have to show that you're qualifying every second month to get uh, the wage subsidy all the way through. And it's also not something that people have to worry about if they, you know, they haven't gotten on top of it as of yet. Um, what's, they do have a deadline. It's, it's October? Or is it yeah, extended I mean, that too? No, that's, that hasn't been changed. So okay. you still have up to October to apply for this wage subsidy. Of course, I mean, I would recommend applying as soon as well, you can. Okay. Uh, yeah. So on that topic of application, so the application is done through the CRA online My Business account. So once uh, most businesses would have that set up. So as soon as you log in, you'll see a big CWS application. So you have to submit a claim each month. So it's separated into three periods, I guess, which is basically a month. And you would have to basically attest that your revenue dropped and then you'll get that 75% subsidy. So it's not too bad. I mean, after applying, it takes about, I would say about 10 days to get the money in your account, which is pretty good. Now you mentioned, uh, I think you said this for the wage subsidy, but 
you can correct me if, if it's with uh, this one too. Is you just need like one employee. Does that like include yourself? So like if it's just you that you give that you pay yourself a salary, to, can you apply for this or is there like something else? Because I'm thinking about you know the the one or two people shops who mm-hmm. kind of just do this together. Or another question I might have or that I would have that we can kind of extend into is just like if you have contractors or part time employees or employees who are out of province or out of country. Um, how this stuff kind of applies to that? Yeah, good questions. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, typically, this is only restricted to employees within Canada. So, anyone who is being paid a salary and has a, issued is being issued a T four slip. Mm-hmm. It doesn't apply to any freelancers or contractors that you you know you don't pay. They're not on your payroll. That then they wouldn't qualify. Which is another unfortunate part because this industry does have a lot of contractors. Mm-hmm. And that is something that has been raised. Um, yeah, they have as of yet to rectify that. Because I guess it's technically like an expense, right? There isn't. It's not like it's not the same as payroll. Like it's sort of a similar expense as like paying your your rent or your or the electricity or something like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's how the government sees it. I mean, even right. though like everyone's impacted equally, but employees again because they're eligible, they pay in the EI, and then they can claim the the CERB, which is the two thousand a month. Right. Uh, benefit that the government is. So it's kind of to prevent them from going on that. They would so, instead be giving them the subsidy. So do you know if okay. there's kind of movement on the whole like contractor slash freelancer thing or? There or really doesn't seem to be as of yet. They, they've kind of taken the opinion of uh, if you're self-employed and if you're, if you're paying yourself out uh, self-employment uh, by any means other than uh, an actual salary, uh, mm-hmm. a T4 salary, then you are just really covered by the, the, uh, pretty much universal unemployment that is mm-hmm. served right now. Right. But your question relating to uh, employers that pay themselves. Owners. Uh, that yeah, so owners that pay themselves, that is. That's, yeah, that's a good question actually. Because uh, once the subsidy came into place, that we had a whole bunch of companies just come up to us and be like, oh, can I pay myself and get 75% of that subsidized? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that simple. So if you weren't paying yourself between January and March 15th of this year, uh, so pre-COVID, then you wouldn't be able to pay yourself as an owner and get that subsidy. So you mm-hmm. have to have been on payroll prior to March 15th. So if you're paying yourself normally on a monthly basis or a bi-weekly basis as an owner, uh, you could just continue to pay yourself and then get the subsidy. But then you can't start paying yourself and get the subsidy. Right. So you would have to... So if you're... If you're I don't... If you're someone who's on your own payroll or whatever, is that different than just like transferring money from one account to the other? Like, is that like you have to actually set yourself up as like a employee yeah. on the CRA website or whatever? Exactly. Yeah. So you would be uh, set paying yourself through a payroll. Like what that means is you're withholding the taxes when you're paying. So there's a gross and net pay, right? So you withhold like income tax and CPP. And you're paying that to the government every month. Mm-hmm. So. Right, right. So those and- are the withholding taxes. And yeah, and, and you already kind of touched on this, but just to confirm, like if you got someone out of country in, in the U.S. or Europe or whatever, you can't get the subsidy for those uh, employees. It's just for, so it's across Canada. So if you're in Ontario yeah. and, you, and you're working with someone in Vancouver, you could do that, but not if they're in Seattle. Yeah, sort of not outside of Canada. Yeah, they, I mean, that that is something that happens. They, they haven't really addressed that. By and large, typically um, any engagements with labor that you have outside of Canada would likely be contractor anyway. Um, it's quite rare that they would be uh, employees. Hmm. Yeah. Um, 
before we kind of move on, I guess, to the sort of, I guess, provincial stuff or just, or just the next topics or anything else about, because the wage subsidy slash wage, wage, wage sharing or is like the big, the big thing, I guess. Is there anything else? Like you already mentioned how you apply. You say you go to the CRA, um, your CRA like company login. Um, yeah. is there anything else that I, that we haven't like touched on? Like how you apply, you mentioned that or how you qualify, you mentioned that. I'm, I'm not an accountant, so I, <laughs> I guess like, I mean, I think that covers it pretty well. It, it, okay. it, it, I know we did create a, a decent visual representation of, of the whole idea of qualifying one month and then not having to qualify the, the next month because that can be a little bit confusing. So um, anyone's welcome to, to check. We've got a page on our website that's just dedicated to, to COVID uh, updates. Um, and it's kind of a, like a simple guide to, to run through. So uh, that can really help um, explain it from that perspective. And then of course, then any questions, people are more than welcome to, to reach out. Yeah, before we kind of go on to the next stuff, like we should mention, you know, if you go to the website, which is ins-coin.com, um, it, had, it looks like you have a COVID support measures uh, thing on there, as well as like a Discord I've seen on your Discord. People just kind of chat and ask questions or ask for phone calls and stuff like that. You guys respond. So um, if anyone's listening to this and they have questions or we didn't touch on anything, like feel free to kind of hit you guys up on Discord or Twitter or whatnot. Um, I guess speaking kind of like, provincially like obviously every every province like i'm seeing doug ford our premier here in ontario like to kind of talk every day just different things but it sounds like each province is kind of handling it a little bit different but i gotta imagine that the overall theme has been pretty similar um across the board is there i guess what are you seeing in terms of like the like provincial stuff like how they're handling how ontario's handling versus british columbia versus saskatchewan versus you know, Newfoundland, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I mean, it's true. Every province is different um, just in their treatment of gaming um, from the outset. And then even more so now in relation to COVID. So uh, each province has its own ministry and, and typically uh, games are, are either under ministry of culture or under ministry of like economic development or ideally some sort of tandem of both. Um, so we have been involved in various advocacy measures on the provinces uh, on that side. And what I can say that is that a lot of the provincial governments are actually really looking for, they're looking for responses, to be honest, across industries when it comes to COVID and how they can help support industries. But um, from what we're seeing, as specifically in Ontario, but in other provinces as well, is that they're looking to this industry as, as a growth measure. So they're actively seeking um, input on how they can help support this industry um, because they can see long-term future growth beyond COVID from an economic perspective from gaming. So the way it works uh, in most provinces when it comes to a lot of these things is that they're they're not necessarily enacting change on a federal level. They're, they're just kind of pushing it downstream. So in some cases, they're just um, voices to, to help push the federal, but they're also supportive of some of the federal uh, programs and the federal, more so the expediting of current programs in place. So what we have seen across every province it, it, unfortunately, with the exception of, of Ontario right now, is an expediting of uh, tax credit claims specifically, so multimedia tax credit claims and specific to BC, um, um, Quebec. Um, unfortunately, there are other provinces out there that, that no longer have specific multimedia tax credit programs. Um, I'm thinking namely of Saskatchewan, but then you've got programs like uh, Alberta's that was uh, killed um, last fall. So in those cases, what I'm seeing is this a movement uh, of people to discuss these measures and discuss 
how perhaps these provinces that don't have programs in place can start to enact pro pro programs to mimic those of uh, Quebec and Ontario to build again this industry in a, in a time where, where we can see um, kind of the forest uh, beyond the trees. Um, so that's what we're seeing there. On the Ontario side, we're seeing a lot of, of, of change. The Ford government, you mentioned Ford there. The interesting thing, and, and, and I'm not going to share my political views necessarily on Ford, but the interesting <laughs> thing, and, and frankly, it was a bit of a surprise to me, was uh, the, the uh, rampant support of the industry. Um, I think that, that a lot of the government there is, is right now young and, and active in the gaming community, and rumor has it that Ford is too. So uh, uh, I don't want to focus too much on Ontario here, but... but um, there are a lot of gamers in Ontario and a lot of people with hesitations as to the, the credit programs that are in place in Ontario. So we are seeing a lot of movement there. A lot of the advocacy has been uh, done to expedite that money to get those tax credits back into people's hands quicker because it's not even a subsidy. It's, it's money that they are already entitled to. So let's get it into their hands, let them reinvest in games and, and spend that money um, now as opposed to later. Um, but even on the federal side, I know there are a couple of other uh, programs, not from a wage subsidy, but more so from a, a grant perspective that have been announced since the wage subsidy that, um, again, really should be being looked at uh, from this community, even though in some cases they have this revenue barrier. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, the wage subsidy covers all your payroll costs, but obviously that's not everything you have to cover, right? So there are a lot of expenses that you need to cover. And so the government also has something more general in terms of just funding and capital for businesses. So, so uh, one of the most common ones is the, uh, the Canada Emergency Business Account, the CBA. So this is essentially a $40,000 loan from the government and it's available to all businesses that had uh, a payroll in 2019. So as long as you had payroll over $20,000 in payroll last year, then you would qualify for this loan. Uh, and the nice part about this loan is there's there's an interest free period of about two and a half years and in addition to that it's also forgivable as a part of it is forgivable so out of the 40,000 up to 10,000 are is forgivable if you pay out the 30k and we're and, hearing a rumor I don't know you don't feel comfortable sharing it but we keep hearing this rumor that, that the <laughs> remainder of it may be forgivable at the end of three-year terms yeah so. Well, that, so, and we, we already discussed that, right? Like stuff is just getting changed like every single day. So exactly. Who knows tomorrow, tomorrow JT might go up on, uh, from his cottage or whatever and, and just announce <laughs> that's all forgivable. We'll see. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely, that's easy. That's a pretty accessible one. We've seen pretty much a lot of the company, almost all the companies that we work with have gotten that. It's just, you go and apply through your bank. I'm, I'm sure like everyone's hearing this has been bombarded by emails from your bank about this $40,000 loan. I mean, you can't miss it. If you go to your bank to log in, there's <laughs> a giant banner everywhere that says, here's, it's available, you can apply for it now. It's a pretty quick process. Like the application takes like five or 10 minutes really. And within a week or two, you have the money in your account. And and you said the only thing that you need to qualify is $20,000 of payroll last year? Yeah, in 2019. In 2019, so does that, and that includes, so that, so if, if you started your company this year, then you can't apply for it basically. Yeah. Unfortunately. I mean that originally that was uh, 50,000. So they brought it down to 20,000. So we got some, uh, they gave, they gave up, but they conceded a bit there, but I mean, for any new companies, there's nothing there. Yeah. True. 
Um, is there any other, uh, I guess, kind of like similar loans programs, what have you? Um, yeah. Kind of either, uh, oh, yeah. Actually, there, there's a bigger program, a much wider program, which is the Business Credit Availability Program. And BCAP. BCAP, it's called. Mm -hmm. So there's a ton of acronyms here, so I'm trying to stay away from them <laughs> because it's just like overwhelming. I mean, you, ha you already had so much in tax to begin with, and now you have more added. So, so this program is actually... It's actually two programs, but it's grouped into one. It's because it's a very, very similar programs. So it's being given out through the BDC, which is the Business Development Bank of Canada, and the EDC, which is Export Development. So they both have similar loan amounts. So it starts uh, with up to... There's no minimum. There's no minimum, you're right. So it goes up to $6.25 million yeah. in, <laughs> in funding. <laughs> yeah. For anybody who wants to go out there and... Grab that six point two five million. <laughs> yeah, so but it, it, it's funny. I know you mentioned that because whenever I talk to this about people, they just see that that massive ticket. And but I, I want to stress that's not it. You can go out there and do the same program. Look for you know forty, fifty, sixty thousand mm dollars. -hmm. So again, the only requirement, the only catch with this is you need to be a revenue positive. Uh, so you need to have some revenue in 2019 and at the start of pre-covid you need to be a viable business which means you have like some kind of plan to generate revenue you're not just uh you know just sitting there trying to I'm not sure what you're doing that kind of thing so they need something more viable to put their money into and the, it's 80 percent funded by the government through these two 80 percent backed backed sorry, yeah. sorry and the other 20 percent is covered by the banks yeah. so and the both of these loans like the entire program is accessible through the bank. So you would be applying through your bank to get that money. So this is a really interesting program that, that uh, a lot of our advocacy stuff has have been going into as well, because you do have, um, you know, the power of some, some substantial um, gaming companies that uh, see the value in these programs. Um, you've got a lot of gaming companies and, and they're not knocking the, the grant programs whatsoever. I think they're excellent for, for what they're there for, but you have a lot of companies that just want easier access to to capital to help build the games that they really feel are going to have financial viability. So that's where they see any support on, on just getting low interest loans as excellent. And again, coming back to this whole pre-revenue um, uh, debacle is a big issue for, for this community because mm -hmm. I can I know offhand a number of companies that, that have very well established um, large companies that are still pre-revenue. So thankfully, um, with some of those people in the picture, there's been a, a very large push on the advocacy side, uh, both public and private, to remove those pre-revenue requirements. Um, we have no word on it yet, but um, we're hearing some, some excellent reactions within the government that that may very well happen. Um, and the second element that they're looking to push on that side is that the ability for, for specific to this community, anybody who's uh, eligible for, for multimedia tax credits or, or even other tax credits, um, within the gaming community across Canada, if you can use those credits essentially to leverage against this loan. Um, that's it's something that Royal Bank and National Bank have always allowed. They've always allowed that they lend against tax credits. So they're allowed to use those as collateral. So um, making that transition, uh, although it can't be pushed by government, it can be encouraged by government. And I think that that's huge here because if, if you can make all of these banks the um, gaming tax credits as, as uh, viable uh, collateral to loan against, then you're opening up a whole bunch of accessible capital to gaming companies so they don't have to rely just on 
government grants uh, on, on seeking publishers, they they can do this themselves if they believe in it. So I think that's probably the first reaction we're going to see on the advocacy side is the change there. And like I said, this $6.25 million ticket, that sounds huge, but you got to think, I mean, there's no reason that you can't um, um, just use it as a 40, 50, 60, uh, 100, $200,000 loan to help you get to that next step. If it's going to be a, a, a very low interest rate and the, the, the banks are more likely to um, to approve you in in a situation where they wouldn't have otherwise done it before because of this government backing, then um, I think this one will be huge. True. Um, we've kind of already touched on it a little bit, especially with what we'll kind of discuss, you know, a couple of months down the line. But in terms of kind of getting funding um, and all the stuff, is that stuff kind of put on pause right now for a lot of these companies, a lot of these provinces, or are they still kind of doing it? Um, you know, the, the Canadian Digital Media Fund, I believe, uh, is one that I see on pretty much every single Canadian game that I play. Mm-hmm. Um, is that funding, is that is that stuff still kind of going on or is it just sort of like put on pause? Like how does that, and then how does that like impact, you know, the wage subsidy and all these kind of loans and stuff when you're when you're saying, you know, if you didn't get the, the funding last year, but then you got this year, your income didn't drop by 30%. You know, it could have increased by hundreds of percent or whatever. So, how does yeah. is it, how is that stuff kind of going, and how is that impacting like kind of everything? Yeah, no, a lot of good thoughts there, and kind of multifaceted. So, I'll tackle the last thing you asked there first. the The idea of CMF as revenue, yes, I mean CMF uh, can be viewed as revenue. So, if you happen to have received CMF last year and not this year, then that's unfortunate in some cases, but uh, could also be fortunate in the sense that it is going to show that you had revenue last year. It's going to show this this revenue drop, which thus would allow you to qualify for these other programs. But um, yes, thankfully, um, CMF has reacted. It took them a little bit longer, but they, they well, I say thankfully, uh, but, but maybe I'm wrong on that because I'm not sure if I support their reaction, but but they have reacted. Um, they're continuing to fund, and, and maybe, Modesto, you can touch on how they're continuing to fund. Mm-hmm. Sure. So uh, the federal government donated a big chunk of money to the culture and tourism industry, and about 88 million of that went to the CMF. So essentially, they're responsible for donating or handing out that money. Uh, And what they've done is set up what's called the emergency fund. So essentially, if you got any kind of CMF funding within the last three years, then you can get additional funding, which is basically a percentage of what you got from them originally. So that's kind of all done online through the CMF website. So if you have a CMF account already because you've gotten funding in the past, you just go in and apply to that. Again, there is, they've kind of made it, uh, there's a catch there again with the revenue drop. So it's not technically a revenue drop because they've been affected by Yeah, so it's basically, it says if you've been impacted financially by 25%, right? Now, if you're sitting there wondering what does that mean, then <laughs> literally everyone is you're in the majority. That. Yeah, and if All you right. ask, like if you call a CMF advisor and ask them, they'll tell you the same thing. You don't know. It's kind of like, I mean, they didn't want to just make it seem like they're just giving money out to everyone, right? But right, right. It's not hard to project a 25% impact on your business. It's just a matter of how you do it, and everyone is going to be impacted, right? You could lower your sales projections by 25%. Or you could say my work from home is causing increased costs. I don't know if that's enough to cover 25%, but yeah, it's just more so like a very subjective case that you have to make to do CMF. And, right. 
I don't see like them really arguing about that. It's hard to argue when everything. No, so I don't. Vague. They don't. They, they, by the by the speed with which they're turning them around, I don't really see them arguing it at all. And yeah. it is there's mixed. It's being met with kind of mixed opinions on whether that was the, the fair way to do it. I mean, clearly it was a simpler way to do it, to, to just give it to people who have already received money. But again, if you're uh, a newer company that this was the first time you've applied and you haven't gotten that money yet in the application that you just submitted you know, a few days ago, then you're, you're not gonna qualify for this extra little boost. So, so that is unfortunate again. Yeah. Uh, again, to apply to that, I mean, it's all done through the telephone, the dialogue application portal. So if you log in, you'll see again, a separate CMF emergency fund. And we've heard people getting like very, very quick turnaround times, usually within a couple of days, usually within 24 hours as well, oh, wow. to get approved for that additional funding. Uh, it might take a bit more to get paid out, but that's still very timely and probably very useful for companies that can give them an extra bit of runway. For sure. To complete their projects or, you know, just keep up with operation costs. Yeah. Uh, so, you guys are, uh, you know, available. Like you have the Discord, you have um, Twitter and stuff like that. I guess, like in general, like what? Uh, just to kind of like semi wrap stuff up. Unless there's other programs that that you feel we should uh, kind of mention. I, I think we've covered pretty much a lot of the major ones. There are a couple of things I would, because you did point out uh, there's a lot of hurdles in qualifying for some of these. So the government announced uh, a more I guess more lenient program in the sense that similar funding, like the $40,000 loan, because you need payroll to qualify for that. So you can get that through uh, these regional agencies like FedDev Ontario is a big one. So there are six regional agencies throughout Canada. And if you just go to their website, you'll be able to see that you can, if you didn't qualify, if you didn't qualify for all the programs that we talked about, like the, the BCAP or the $40,000 SIBA uh, or the wage subsidies, then you could get the similar funding amount for this program as well. So I think that's kind of important because it kind of takes care of all those pre-revenue companies. Yeah, this was a fairly recent addition too. So we're just getting into the details on it too. So you can definitely touch base on our website and uh, yeah. take a look at that. And the other one that have some people, some of the bigger companies is the rent assistance. Oh yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of a weird one because the way it's set up is right now is your landlord has to apply for to the to the government to get that loan and then take, reduce your rent. So if you do, if your landlord does apply for it, basically you get your rent reduced by seventy five percent. Oh right, and then the government pays them fifty percent of it. Pays the landlord. Pays the landlord. But again, you have no control over that, right? Because as a tenant, you can't force your landlord to apply for that loan. So we've seen a lot of companies or studios that are shut down because of the lockdown, and so they have off, empty office space just sitting there while everyone's working from home, and they still have to pay rent. 100% uh, of their rent. Mm. So this program, I don't know, it's, it's a pretty weak program, I'd say, because the other requirement is you have to be an impacted business. So instead of 30%, you have to show a 70% drop in revenue. Oh, wow. Which, so just by the sounds of it, it seems like it's more targeted towards like retail businesses that are, you know, completely shut down. So their revenue drops to zero and they would all qualify. Yeah. But for offices and like game studios that just had to shut down, there's really not much there. And we're just hearing across the board, no matter what industry, uh, which is somewhat surprising to me, uh, if, if tenants are not making their rent payments, but we're hearing a very strong lack of responsiveness to the landlords having to, to do anything uh, in this response. So, so like you said, a, a good natured program perhaps might uh, 
could use some tweaks as far as being applied directly by the, the tenant versus the landlord. Yeah, I know we won't get too political in here, but I, I was watching that Doug Ford the other day just like go off on the the landlords like threatening them and stuff like that. It was actually kind of crazy to see when he was talking about that. <laughs> it was, it was. I, I same thing, not too political, but I've I've, I've enjoyed seeing some of that. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, there's obviously a lot here. Um, you know, people listening to this who might be in a situation might be wondering what they can apply for, what they can, what can they get, what can't they get, what stuff is just off the table, what's on the table, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like we mentioned a couple of times already, things are changing every single day. Um, I guess like where where is the best place for people to kind of get in touch with you in terms of just getting some of these questions answered? Like we mentioned the discount website and stuff like that. But if you guys just want to kind of maybe mention it again, uh, where people can kind of get in contact with you guys. Yeah, by all means. So, so a few different means. And what I want to stress there before that is it, it, even pre-COVID, I mean, we've taken the, the, the standpoint from when we started to, to, to now, um, many years down the road that you, you, by all means, reach out to us. We hate the idea of traditional accountants. We detest it. There's no um, caveat with which you cannot talk to us until you pay. Um, we want to impart as much wisdom as we can across uh, the industry, especially as it relates to, to COVID. So feel free to reach out. We'll spend as much time with you just, just kind of guiding you through these things with absolutely no um, no um, commitment is what I'm looking at there. Um, where can people kind of get uh, in touch with you guys? Just kind of ask more questions or, and whatnot. So by all means, yeah, you can reach out to us at one eight three three I N S I N S C O I N. You can also reach out to us on uh, on the website, of course, at www.ins-coin.com. Uh, Discord, we do a lot of communication through Discord. Easiest place to find us on Discord is, is through uh, the link on our website, uh, Twitter as well. And then hello at ins-coin.com. So there are a lot of options. We like to make sure people can reach out to us uh, whatever way uh, is easiest for them. Yeah, I think if you go on the website, you'll find really all our social channels, our email number, everything's there. You could just book a meeting right there as well. I think even Instagram, Facebook, we've kind of got all that going now. We just yes. really started to, to slowly get into the content creation uh, business and hopefully we'll be putting out a lot more of that over the next few months. I hear that. Um, is there any kind of final things? I, I don't want to leave anyone hanging. Like I want to make sure we kind of cast a wide net. I know we discussed a lot of federal stuff and a little bit of provincial stuff. Is there anything that we kind of missed or anything like that? I don't think we missed anything, but what I think is really important to, to, to point out to here, and to be honest, I can't remember if I mentioned this at the top, was uh, governments are looking uh, to make change, and we see that across industries, and and they've really they've established kind of three points here. So they've established uh, response, recovery, and stimulus, and right now we're still just in response. So um, being the industry that we're in, being in an industry that, that could be um, one of the key drivers beyond this, I feel as though we're going to see a lot more uh, government reaction from recovery, from stimulus. So um, perhaps the future could be bright on that side, but really stay tuned on, on what programs will be coming because I expect the announcements like we've seen in the last three months to be coming out for the next two, three years. So, Cool. Well, I appreciate you guys... You yeah, no, I appreciate uh, us finally. We've been talking for a long time, but I'm yes, glad we, <laughs> we've been uh, able to do this. I wish it was under, you know, better uh, circumstances and stuff, and we were just talking about funding and things like that. But it is what it is. 
I hope uh, everyone listening kind of got something out of this. Again, the website is ins-coin.com, and uh, they can, there's the discount and, and phone number and stuff there. So, uh, Matthew and, and Metasir, I appreciate you guys taking the time out of, uh, out of your day to chat, and um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of keep talking, and, and stay tuned, I guess, in a couple, you know, in a couple months or so, we'll, we'll do another episode on just funding and, and sort of game development and things like that. So I look forward to that. Awesome. Sure. Us too. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you.